You are listening to your community-supported radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, November 18th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, a possible $31 billion budget surplus could trigger tax cuts and rebates for residents of our state. The California Report serves up some context to the media narrative that claims Kamala Harris is struggling in her role as vice president. After a roundup of regional news and weather, Bravehearts goes behind the scenes at 211 Connecting Point, and we end with an essay from Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The state of California will be swimming in extra money next year, with the state's legislative analyst office predicting a $31 billion budget surplus. But all that extra dough means decisions have to be made. The forecasted surplus would surpass a constitutional limit on state spending by more than $14 billion. That means Governor Gavin Newsom and lawmakers could again be legally required to either cut taxes, boost spending on schools and infrastructure, or give rebates to taxpayers, a popular move during an election year. Asked about the options yesterday, Newsom offered only this response. And I look forward to making the decision, which I think is the best interest of 40 million Californians in January, with the support, critical support, of our legislative leaders. Newsom did say he will push for substantial investments in infrastructure. Yesterday, we brought you a conversation about redistricting in California. Well, the state's Citizens Redistricting Commission is hearing feedback on its proposed district lines for Congress and the state legislature. And that has major implications for the state's big and growing Latino population. KQED politics reporter Guy Maserati has more. Sonny Wachneen, a voting rights attorney with the UCLA Latino Policy and Politics Initiative, says the story of California's growth and the growth of the of a vibrant Latino community, um, as well as a vibrant API community. But an analysis by the Public Policy Institute of California found that while the draft maps increase the number of majority Latino districts, they decrease the number of seats where Latinos make up 30 to 50 percent of the voting eligible population. So it is possible that um, we might have more Latino preferred candidates being elected, but the ability of Latinos to influence districts may be less. The commission is holding public comment hearings through Tuesday and needs to finish final maps by December 27th. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. Let's turn to California's own Kamala Harris. When Joe Biden picked Harris as his running mate, she made history as the country's first female, black, and South Asian vice president. There were high expectations she'd be a superstar in the administration. But media reports this week paint a picture of dysfunction, disappointment, and confusion surrounding Harris and her role in the administration. Sources inside the White House told CNN that Harris is struggling. Low approval numbers are adding to alleged problems. For some insight, we reached out to KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos, who's been covering Harris for years. She says the Harris story is much more complex than poll numbers indicate. Okay, I know you've been talking to a lot of experts about the vice president and her situation right now. Uh, From your reporting, is there context missing from the narrative that we're getting so far? 
Yeah, you know, I call up Mark Sandalo, my former colleague. He used to work for the San Francisco Chronicle for a long time in D.C. He now teaches for the University of California's Washington program. So he's been in the Capitol for a very long time. And here's his take on her involvement thus far. I would have expected Harris to be a much more prominent part of the Biden administration. But a vice president is only as out there and as strong as a president lets them be. And we don't know at this point whether or not Harris's low profile is because she hasn't sought the limelight, because she's failing to grab the spotlight, or if it's because Biden isn't giving her the spotlight. And, you know, Saul, even though I think media coverage has kind of had this like, where's Kamala Harris question, Sandalow notes that if you look at her public schedule, it's pretty packed. She's done international trips. She's been touring the country. And of course, she has this very meaty, complicated portfolio of policy issues, some of which she asked for, like voting rights, some of which she was given by the president, like immigration and the border. Here's what Sandalow had to say about that. It is puzzling when you look at the issues that she's been handed, immigration, voting, digital divide, COVID vaccines. These are things that you would expect would be center of attention and that she would be out there making all sorts of headlines over. Maybe it's not her fault, but it is surprising with all these high profile issues, how how quiet she's been. So quickly, Saul, I mean, he hits on two things. One is we don't know what's going on inside the White House between her and the president and their staffs. And the other is that, you know, I think some of this might not be all her fault. It could be the way the media covers her, which is not always the same as the way they have covered historically white men in that position. You know, I know you've covered her career for a long time, uh, as now as vice president, before that as senator, attorney general of California, DA of San Francisco. How have you seen Harris evolve over the years? And are there patterns that kind of remain a constant for good or bad? I think for both. I mean, she is you know, a compelling figure. She has been one since she first ran for office. She's great at retail politics. She's funny. You know, she's a good person at connecting on a personal level. But on the other hand, I think that she is very aware of her position. Um, you know, she came from a law enforcement background as a black woman. I think that she has always had to do this sort of toggling um, and had concern about what she does, you know, what it's going to look like. Is there going to be blowback? And I think that that has hampered her to some extent. I think she's been unwilling to take risks um, in all of her positions and has been very focused on her image. But I think some of that also, it's like a chicken or egg question. Is that because she is sort of more scrutinized than other folks? And I'll just note, though, that that President Biden, I mean, his own poll numbers are nothing to write home about either right now, right? They're not. I mean, in the aggregate, he's a couple points ahead of Kamala Harris, but there have been other polls, outliers that have him at much lower numbers as well. I mean, let's just step back and say all of this is really about the broader politics as well. And I think that if Biden was enjoying sort of soaring approval ratings, you would probably see that with Harris. Um, and I think that, you know, when you add all of the other things with Kamala Harris and the challenges she faces, it's not surprising to me that she is below the president's approval rating and perhaps that, you know, she's going to have to work even harder as she has most of her career to kind of get the same approval as other people around her. That is KQED's Marisa Lagos. Marisa, thanks so much for joining us and talking about uh, Kamala Harris. My pleasure. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. Personalcapital.com. 
SFMOMA, presenting the world premiere of Joan Mitchell, a stunning retrospective of over 80 works by the trailblazing painter who made art on her own terms. Learn more at sfmoma.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at schmidtfutures.com. And that is the California Report for Thursday, November 18th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. In regional news, from today's Sacramento Bee, a federal grand jury in Sacramento has indicted a college instructor with arson counts in connection with a series of fires set last summer near the Dixie Fire. Gary Stephen Maynard, 47, of San Jose, originally was charged in the case in August and now faces four counts of arson to federal property and a count of setting timber afire. Each arson count carries a minimum sentence of five years in prison and a maximum sentence of 20 years. Maynard is accused of setting fires July 20th and July 21st in Siskiyou County and fires on August 7th in Lassen County. Maynard worked at a number of colleges in California, including Santa Clara University and Sonoma State University, where he was a lecturer in criminal justice specializing in cults and deviant behavior. Maynard has been held without bail in the Sacramento County Main Jail since his arrest. Also from today's B, people who use marijuana while pregnant may predispose their children to mental health and behavioral problems that could leave lasting effects, according to one new study. Research on 322 parent-child pairs suggested that children whose parents used cannabis during pregnancy, measured by the number of joints smoked per day, were more anxious, aggressive, and hyperactive during early childhood than those of non-cannabis users. The findings come as legalized recreational marijuana gains a stronger foothold in the U.S., researchers noted in their study, published November 15th in the journal PNAS. The journal is published by the National Academy of Sciences. The study's senior author, Yasmin Hurd, director of the Addiction Institute at the Mount Sinai Health System in New York, was quoted as saying, pregnant women are being bombarded with misinformation that cannabis is of no risk, while the reality is that cannabis is more potent today than it was even a few years ago. Our findings indicate that using it during pregnancy can have long-term impact on children. When children included in the study were between three and six years old, researchers measured stress hormone levels via hair samples, heart rate variability, and behavioral traits based on surveys by parents. The study, based in New York City, began in 2009. Parental marijuana use was associated with higher levels of the stress hormone cortisol among children. Existing data show marijuana use during pregnancy may cause health issues in newborns, such as low birth weight, and cause learning and attention problems. About 1 in 20 people in the United States currently use marijuana while pregnant, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. In regional weather, a chance of rain showers tonight and Friday. The weekend looks dry and mild with highs in the 60s and lows in the 40s. Clouds are likely to obscure the view of a near-total lunar eclipse that will occur tonight into Friday morning. The moon will crawl into Earth's shadow for just over six hours, the longest-lasting partial lunar eclipse in 580 years. The moon will enter the penumbra at 10.02 p.m., and the partial eclipse will begin at 11.19 p.m. 
The peak of the eclipse will be at 1.03 a.m. Pacific time, according to the NASA Earth Observatory. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, cloudy with rain developing after midnight, low temperatures around 50. On Friday in Nevada City and Grass Valley, cloudy with occasional showers, a high of 54 and a low of 48. In Truckee tonight, a few clouds with a high of 34 degrees. Friday in Truckee, cloudy with a slight chance of a shower, a high of 49 and a low of 24. In Sacramento this evening, mostly cloudy and 50 degrees with rain developing after midnight. On Friday in Sacramento, overcast with a slight chance of rain, a high of 57 and a low of 45. What happens when you make a call to Nevada County's 211 Connecting Point resource line? Listen as Bravehearts goes behind the scenes to learn how 211's employees are trained to handle the infinitely diverse calls for help that come through on any given day. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. This is part two with Connecting Points, Ulysses Palencia and Lindsay Gordon. These services are out there. How how many people in the county do you think know about two one one? Not I mean, enough. I, yeah, not enough. Not enough. That's one of the reasons I'm so happy that we set this up. So I'm curious, Ulysses, about. So you're the call center manager. So tell me what that it, like. Do you answer the phone? Do you manage the people that answer the phone? Tell me a little bit about your job. So both. Um, really depending. So if the call volume um, is increasingly high to make sure that we keep the wait times down, then I can absolutely jump in and answer calls. And then as well as, you know, the call agents that are already answering calls, just making sure that any questions that they may have or any decisions that may need to be made based on situations, that those are answered, as well as just ensuring that all the procedures are being done correctly at any given time. I would say would be the main functions of that position, along with anything else that Yeah, I was going to piggyback on that, that, you know, we have a really high standard of quality that we like to provide in our service. And so one of those expectations is that we answer phone calls in a minute or less. And so part of what Ulysses does is really manages the wait time and makes sure that if wait times are going any longer than a minute that we're getting extra backup help on, he's hopping on and answering calls. So maintaining that service level and making sure people's calls get answered as quickly as possible. Yeah, wow, that's, that's terrific. What does somebody receive when they make that call to 211? 
Yes, all of our call agents are really well-trained and active listening, and someone can expect to be asked some really specific questions to see what types of resources they may be eligible for. I kind of call it peeling the onion, unfolding the different layers of the individual situation and what needs they might have. And someone may call for one thing, and a call agent may uncover additional needs. Maybe in addition to experiencing homelessness, they might need food or clothing. And so really, we like to make sure that we address all of their needs and and supply resources to meet all of those needs mm. and if, if I could add to that please um, what I would say like specifically if someone called what they can expect or what can they receive is, is based on what they're looking for right so if they want shelter we'll address the shelter and, and make sure that they're eligible to be referred to the shelter but along with that like if one of the things they mentioned would be we ask for a callback number if they don't have one then we can talk about free phone services access to food um, calfresh so just trying to identify other needs that they may have so really based on what they're looking for and anything that we can hear or identify that may be something that they need. And so are they behavioral health people that answer the phones or do you train them here? We do tons of training in-house, but also trainings provided by the community. We're trained in safe talk, so suicide prevention. We have had trauma-informed care training, motivational interviewing, We have a training coming up specifically around domestic violence. We've done LGBTQ trainings, how to work with the LGBTQ community. We we do a lot of in-house training, but also really looking for any training opportunities within the community so that we can serve people better and really just know how to handle every situation. I'm curious what you experience when you just listen. Really depends. I was doing a training earlier today with, with a new call agent that we had, and one of the calls that I played for her was someone that needed to do a coordinated entry intake and based on that conversation domestic violence within her own situation so it really depends on what they're not saying directly um, and based on you know everything that's 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 kind of happening within the context of the call so it's a little difficult for me to really like pinpoint things like that but yeah for me it just kind of has to happen and then little things just started going up in the head like okay this person's saying this but that may mean this it really is about active listening too you know we get such a variety of calls that um we could get a call from someone curious why their trash wasn't picked up this morning and then the very next call could be a family who's got two young children and they're living in their car so um, the call agents are really experts at shifting gears very quickly Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. And now... Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. Molly's 23 Random Reminders About Thanksgiving. Think a little bit about why you're embarking on all this work and whether a drive up the coast with a tuna sandwich might be more fun. 
The last farmer's market is Saturday, if you need beets, broccoli, butternut squash, or persimmons. It's already too late to hit Trader Joe's and Costco. Corollary. That canned pumpkin from last year is perfectly good. To remember your mother, sing the two Thanksgiving hymns she loved, but sing them in the shower. At the dinner table, give a nod to the native tribe on whose land your house sits, in my case, the Nisanon. Yes, you can put sour cream in your mashed potatoes. When setting the table, don't forget that the business edge of the knife faces the plate, not your neighbor. This is both tradition and metaphor. Those little white onions are vastly more trouble than they're worth, but go ahead, it's your funeral. Turkey carving expertise is not gender-related. I have nothing useful to tell you about mushroom soup, fried onions, marshmallows, and other Ariviste traditions. Sweet potatoes are lower in calories and higher in beta-carotene than yams. Yams have slightly more potassium and manganese. They both contain decent amounts of B vitamins. You can try no politics, no religion, and no screens. Good luck. Amaze your friends and family by reciting from memory the history of the cranberry. If this goes well, continue with the history of its cousin, the lingonberry, still available nationwide at any IHOP or IKEA. You don't owe anyone anything. I mean it. Cool Whip is not food. The bones and little remnants of the bird can be cooked on the stovetop with water and white wine for a revivifying soup base. Add chopped onions and celery. You know this already. As your grandparents likely said, waste not, want not. I am not qualified to talk about football, but a brisk walk after the main meal and before dessert is recommended. At some point, someone will ask what you're grateful for this year. Be prepared. Whether it's the new formulation of Diet Dr. Pepper or Goethe's translation of Iphigenia in Taurus. Soak your raisins in lemon juice overnight. I dare you. Remember that pie is excellent breakfast food. If you're vegan, roasting every available winter vegetable with olive oil and rosemary is pretty darn tasty, dressed before serving with champagne vinegar and a little orange juice whisked together. Factoid at your fingertips. The wild turkey has been around for 11 million years. Whoever you are, having mixed feelings about this holiday is to be expected. Life is complicated, and colonialism is, too. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for Thursday, November 18th, 2021. 
Coming up next at 6.30 p.m., Mark Cuneberti tries to make sense of a crazy quilt economy in a new edition of Money Matters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs every weekday at 6 p.m. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. And Alpine Aviation, since 1990, offering chartered and scenic flights with personalized schedules and destinations, plus flight instruction and aircraft rentals. Located at the Nevada County Airport, off Loma Rica Road, Grass Valley. FlyAlpine.com This is Joyce Miller wishing you a lovely Thursday evening.